0: a lot of swearing in my mind and probably out loud that poor ultrasound lady and then just fear absolute fear ran through my mind because I just didn't know what it would mean because it's something that I'd always wanted but until I'd spoken to my specialist I didn't know if it was something that I'd even be able to think about or if I would have had to have been forced to terminate so absolute fear ran through my head.
1: I'm Teresa Hudson, coordinator of the Community Information Centre in Townsville. And for today's episode of Brave, I sit down with Vibe Fitness owner Felicity Harper about her lifelong experience with her health. Most of us are born with two healthy kidneys, right? Well, Felicity, that wasn't the case. From going through dialysis as a child and losing a transplant unexpectedly to giving birth to a miracle baby girl, Felicity has shown boundless courage and resilience to roll with anything that is thrown her way. The Townsville Community Information Centre acknowledges and pays respect to the Woolgaroogaba and Bindal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded. Morning, Felicity. Morning. Thank you for joining us today um, to talk all things dialysis. Yes. Plus, a whole lot more um, about your life and where you've started and where you are now. Um, let's start with coming into the world wasn't as smooth sailing for you as it was for most? Apparently, yes. <laughs> what was, like, in terms of not being bored, you wouldn't remember that, but growing up, what was it like for you? Because you were only born with I was one only, kidney.
0: Yeah, born with one kidney um, and had failed by the time I was seven so it was failing from day one um and yeah by seven I was on dialysis so and then 11 I think I got my first transplant but um I didn't know any different so it's it's hard to explain to some people because I didn't see it as an issue because it was all I ever knew but you know there was times like you'd do like parents were coming to school for lunchtime to do dialysis which to me was normal but to many other people it wasn't um I didn't really do sport because I was too fatigued most of the time to do it too tired school-wise I struggled as well purely because of the concentration factor and lack of sleep and stuff like that like just yeah fatigued really easily but like I said that was normal for me. So at seven years of age, what did dialysis look like? So there's two sorts of dialysis. There's um, peritoneal dialysis, which is actually a fluid that goes into your peritoneal cavity in your stomach, drain it out, put another one like bag in as such. And then there's hemodialysis, which most people know of because it's the big machines and the blood and blah, blah, blah. As a kid, I was on the uh, the peritoneal dialysis. So it was four exchanges a day. Um, and yeah, to me it just looked like a drip system. So, you know, you'd empty out with a catheter from your stomach into one bag, and then once it was emptied, they'd fill your stomach back up with another bag. Um, I was quite little, so two and a bit litres of fluid in my stomach made me look like a pregnant seven year old. Um, and it created hernias as well because there was just too much fluid for the room that it needed to be in.
1: But it worked and it kept me going. Did it impact on friendships and whatnot? Cause between seven years of age and eight, nine, ten, and 12 and forget we're starting to have sleepovers and play dates and birthday parties. How did that roll for you?
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Cause I can't, thinking back, I can't quite remember it. I know school camps, dad always came with me. Um, there wasn't many sleepovers at the time. Um, I think at seven, there probably wasn't anyway, um, but there were still parties. Um, and things like that, but not like huge, like sleepovers for like a whole night or things like that. That's yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah. So you had your first transplant at ten years of age. Correct. Do you remember that?
0: Uh, actually, surprisingly, yeah, I do remember a fair bit of that one.
1: What was that like?
0: It was interesting because I was so I got my kidney from my dad. So we were actually in the Royal Melbourne Hospital, not the Royal Children's. Um, so I was in a child in an adult's hospital but for the first I think it was nearly first month it didn't kick in so it was in the layman's terms of what I was told in 10 that it was asleep and it just needed a rest before it could start Um, so it had gone into shock though and they weren't sure if it would actually kick in or not Um, and yeah it was hard because I missed home so because we weren't from a small country town dad and I were required to stay in Melbourne for nearly three months in total
1: oh, wow.
0: so I had brothers that I missed um, I had mum that was obviously back at home I think I got a day trip once that we're allowed to go home for a weekend because you had to be seeing doctors every single day when you were first released from hospital and tracking bloods and everything and then it did it started working it did it kicked in I think about I think it was a month at the most so I did have to have dialysis after the transplant um and they put me on the hemo version then which is the blood version so you were still required to have dialysis even though you'd had the kidney transplant yeah yep absolutely because the kidney wasn't actually doing what it needed to do so there was no filtering happening and because they to do the transplant they took the catheter of the other dialysis out they put a catheter into my chest direct to my heart to do the hemodialysis instead. And that one sucked from memory. <laughs> How long did that kidney keep ticking away? Uh, we got a good 17 years out of it in the end. Once it kicked in, it was beautiful.
1: Yeah. Now, I I didn't realise that their lifespan came and went when you had a transplant. I thought that it would continue on as much as it could while the person still continues but that's not the case is it
0: correct yeah so they do have all transplants have um, a bit of a expiry date they just don't know what the expiry date is average we were always told was 15 to 20 so yeah the medication that stops our body rejecting them also scars them
1: yeah so your first kidney transplant was from your dad but Mm -hmm. they can also come from a compatible donor is that right
0: yeah so there's almost three ways now that you can get a transplant you can get a living transplant from your family Uh, they now have what they call like donor exchange system which is almost like so for example my husband isn't a match for me so we go into a pool and his would go to someone else and someone else would donate to me um, and then there's what you call the cadaver kidneys, which is the people that have passed away.
1: So important because you've, are you still on a kidney transplant list? I am. Wait now? Yep, yep sure I am. Been nearly 11 years. So even though there's three avenues for you to receive a kidney, it's still not that easy.
0: Correct, yeah. So it the more transplants you have, the harder it becomes um, because of antibodies in your blood. So someone that's waiting for their first transplant will get a quicker turnaround as long as they've got not a really rare blood type or something like that. Um, I think the average is about a five-year wait
1: normally. Mm.
0: So you've had two kidney transplants? I have technically.
1: <laughs> How old were you when you got your second?
0: Um, oh God. Well, you said it was...
1: So you got it at 10 years of age and lasted 17 years. Yes, and
0: then I was on dialysis for probably just short of a year while they tested my mum and then we had hers. So that was nearly 11 years ago. So mid-20s, mid to late 20s, I got my next one. And so your mum was your second donor? Yes, yep, used all the family.
1: Mm. (laughs) Sharing the love, isn't
0: it? It is, it is. So unfortunately, though, it didn't last, it... um, failed within 12 hours of getting it so what does fail how do they know it fails what does that mean um so in my case it actually clotted and they couldn't save it they tried saving it in one operation and then by the next morning it re-clotted, and they couldn't save it
1: how did your mum go
0: mum struggled really bad and I think there's still days that she does because she was happy to live without one knowing that I'd have one And Mm -hmm. she says a few times that she wasn't willing to live without one, without me still having one. And I do remind her that she still did what she needed to do to try and help me and it was never in her power that what had happened. So, Hats off to her.
1: Yeah, it was was hard though. What's the recovery like for a person giving their kidney?
0: Uh, So mum was quite lucky. By the time mum donated, they had um, perfected keyhole surgery. So she got the easy way out, um, as my dad sometimes tells her, because uh, dad had the old version, which is belly button to the middle of the back. Cup, oh wow! Yeah, and broken ribs and things like that to get a kidney out. So he um he got the harder version. Mum, it's still I think like all keyhole surgery, eight plus weeks depending on the person for recovery. Yeah, that's mammoth keyhole surgery. So they were able to remove the kidney. Yeah, they. Put it in like a little net bag and squeeze it through a tiny
1: hole. (laughs) That's amazing. I reckon. So, Brad. Yes, my lovely husband. When did you meet him? I met him when I was 19. What was it like dating on dialysis at a teenager and then meeting him and introducing him to your world?
0: Yeah, so I suppose I was quite lucky because I wasn't on dialysis during any dating periods i was already transplanted so my teenage years was no different really to anyone else's apart from the fact that i took some medication breakfast and dinner yep um i still drank i still went partying i went to uni i moved out of home so all that side of it was i was probably quite lucky because i was living what you would class a normal life by then and yeah met him by accident through a friend that turned up on my doorstep one day and we've never been apart since. What a nice accident. I know I like accidents.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what was your relationship like when you had to have the second transplant and life looked really different now when it didn't succeed? I think
0: Brad had grown up with a mum with diabetes so I feel like that's probably given me a bit of an advantage in the sense that he was used to something that was an illness already. He was always very caring and did whatever he could to help me. Um, I still remember there's days where he'd sit at the kitchen table and make up my week's worth of medication if I was stuck at work or something like that. So he's always been really helpful. Um, It was easy to explain to someone that you've got a transplant. That was because it wasn't unusual. I feel like it was probably a lot harder when he watched it fail um, and not be able to fix it. And I still wouldn't be able to, to this day, understand what he fully went through from that side of it. Um, He already knew that when it was failing, mum was getting tested. But when that transplant didn't work, I think it
1: gutted him as much as it gutted everyone else. Yeah. Work-wise, did it restrict you for work of what you could have wanted to do?
0: Uh, Not when I had the transplant, obviously, because once again, normal life. when I first went back on dialysis as an adult, I was on peritoneal again. So four exchanges a day. I had a very understanding boss that would just let me do it in my office while I was working. So I've always had really understanding bosses, but I, I was also never quite open going into interviews if I was on dialysis
1: either, because I never wanted it held against me. Do you think we live in a different world today where people should feel safe to disclose it? I would hope we are,
0: but unfortunately it can be quite scary for an employer to understand what could actually be required and different dialysis is different things. So I know if you're on a hemo through a hospital, it's like three days a week where you wouldn't be able to work really. So it would be a lot harder Um, and I can understand that some, especially now being a business owner myself... The thought of the risk to insurances and stuff if you have something go wrong while I was doing my own medical treatment would
1: definitely scare people, I'd say. Is it more than an education piece for employers? Educating them on how to support employees? Yeah, I think it would
0: be that. They need to be fully educated and understand what's required and they need to see like dialysis is no different to someone that's got diabetes that just needs to check their blood.
1: With the support team, can they come into workplaces or into the home to help support family or workplaces get set up for the patient?
0: There's definitely, um, there's nurses in the program as you lead from like failing kidneys to dialysis um, to help educate not just that person but their family and things like that. I'm not 100% sure if it would go out to a workplace.
1: How amazing if it would be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think most employers would be okay if they were during the journey. Um, So if they, as bad as it sounds, watch someone lose their kidney and start dialysis because they've already got that boss relationship with them and they know what their work ethic is already like. It would be a lot harder if someone that you've never met would sit in an interview and go, oh yeah, but I'll
1: have to do this around the job. I totally know what you mean about disclosing it. When I had my interview for my current job and I have multiple sclerosis and I sat there umming and ahhing whether I disclose it in the interview but I knew for me that meant I had to I have infusions every four weeks mm-hmm. which is, was a day off work to go to the hospital and have those infusions and I towards the end of my interview they asked if I had anything else I wanted to ask or or talk about and it just went bleh <laughs> and came out of my mouth. Yep before I realised what I was saying that um, I have multiple sclerosis and this is what it requires and um, the response I got was and like what do you need us to do oh that's a beautiful response yeah and I went oh um, no 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 nothing but I just feel like I needed to tell you and they're like well then that's fine if you need a day off then you just take it and I just my shoulders went down and the relief went down then I went oh phew I felt so safe in that moment to say it and it was okay and I would hope that would be the majority of responses yeah i would hope too, but sadly i just it doesn't it doesn't always work that way yeah
0: Yeah, so. so when did you get into fitness i got into fitness probably a couple of years after i lost mum's kidney because i was told that i did have the high antibodies so it would be harder to find a third kidney and it dawned on me that i couldn't just wait around for that to make me better because With mum's transplant, obviously, that was already pre-teed up before I'd completely lost the other one. So I'd literally just had the mindset of, oh, she'll be right, kind of thing. And then I realised that now I didn't have that to fall back on and I'd have to do whatever was in my power to stay as healthy as I could. So I started my own fitness journey, lost 20 kilos, reversed all the blood pressure issues that was putting me into hospital nearly every weekend, of all things and fell in love with it and then I just wanted to help people see the power of what exercise and nutrition can do on your own health.
1: So did you do any study in it to get the nutrition side or a lot of research yourself? Yeah so
0: while I was still working full-time in admin I um, did through online the cert three and four in fitness and then I also use a little bit of my own experience to help my clients where I can. And I've done a l- extra research over the last probably eight years just to help with nutrition further. So, yeah, but juggling work, juggling dialysis, juggling my own fitness and, yeah, study.
1: When we when you say and juggling dialysis or I have dialysis, it's not just a needle in the arm and it's a quick shot and then you're done. No, no, it's not. What, like the process is quite a while it's a couple of hours
0: yeah Yeah. so if you're at the hospital it's usually four to five hours um i do mine at home so i've got my machine set up in my bedroom so i actually do it over eight hours while i sleep with cords all wrapped around you yes with some needles in my arm and some tubes that occasionally get caught up where they shouldn't if you roll over too many times or pulled out which has happened before and we've woken up to what looked like a murder scene (laughs) oh dear it happens
1: so how long were you doing your fitness journey solo before you decided to go you know what I'm going to go on a business
0: so my personal journey probably took about three years because I didn't want to do it too quickly and fatigue myself too much and then I was running just general boot camps and stuff as soon as I was qualified after my work hours So I suppose I was technically in business then, but I didn't see it was more as a hobby. So it was probably nearly four years before I went, you know what, I'm loving this too much to want to keep going to admin, let's jump ship. It's probably eight years now.
1: So your business name is? Vibe Fitness. And what did COVID do to your business? being exercise was um, and gyms was one of the places that was pretty much shut down and is one of the first places to get shut down when we go into a lockdown
0: yeah um COVID has probably been the biggest challenge I've really ever faced because it's out of my control and like you said gyms have been like tarred with a shutdown automatically so I felt the government's probably done a little bit of disservice to the fitness industry by almost making us sound like we're like a high germ locations where we're not and um yeah being shut like going into a brand new premises and being shut down two weeks later was a little bit scary and gut-wrenching all at the same time so yeah you just moved into that location I did yeah two weeks prior and Unfortunately, I think I lost over 40
1: clients in the process of shutdown. And during shutdown and the whole entirety of COVID, the layer of mental health has been so important for so mm. many people. And yep. exercise is one of the main outlets that people use to maintain their mental health. Correct. And it's the industry that they gets shut, shut down. Yep. How do you pivot from that? Because you can't order gym for takeaway. Nope you can't we did our best to
0: supply what we could for our clients so we did zoom um, sessions from so i was at home in one of my rooms with a computer while they were wherever they were in their house Uh, we had to obviously try and keep it all body weight exercises because not everyone had gear once we realized lockdown was going to be three months like it was going to drag that long we actually um, lent out a lot of our gear to our clients so they could take it home on the condition that they'd keep paying. And I was forced to stand down two team members because I just didn't have enough clients that wanted to pay for the Zoom sessions and stuff, which was really hard because I wanted it wasn't their fault that it was happening either.
1: Mm. Was your business eligible for any government assistance through JobKeeper?
0: No. So about. I think it was three weeks before their cutoff I had rebranded and got a new ABN so I wasn't eligible for anything not even yourself not even myself I ended up with job seeker but because my husband was still working there wasn't much help anyway it was like five bucks I think they would give me a fortnight
1: so it wasn't even worth it so How now, twelve months on, have you been able to bring any of those clients back in or expand your client?
0: Yeah, we've started to rebuild. Uh it definitely hasn't been as quick or as easy as I'd hoped it could be. Um once again, I think gyms have still got a little bit of a bad rep from then. They've and, you know, a lot of people realise they could actually do it on their own when they're in lockdown. So that never helps. But yeah, it's slowly rebuilding. I wouldn't say that I've rebuilt. Um, I'm still in the process of it now. And I wouldn't be the only
1: fitness company in the same boat, that's for sure. And when you're a sole trader and you're a small business, how do you, re- like, how do you rebuild that brand? That's hard, isn't it? It is, yeah.
0: So um, Facebook is basically where most people advertise these days. I've tried to do what we call the organic marketing as much as possible and just get your name out there just through shares and general info than paid advertising. But that's why it's also so much slower to rebuild. Mm. Your gym, you do boot classes there as well. What else do you do? Yeah, so we do personal training. We're very big on accountability. So we actually coach all um, the clients that want it. So it's not just turn up train go home we're also you know checking in if they haven't been there for a little while and making sure that they've got that accountability and that they're actually missed when they don't turn up
1: going through running your business now for anyone else going into a business what would be your key piece of advice
0: the biggest key piece I would say now is have capital behind you so if something like COVID happens you're not looking at a bank account going oh crap yeah. And know that you've... Everyone thinks if you're a boss of a business, you've got it easy. You're the hardest worker and the lowest paid. So
1: don't go into it thinking that you're going to be rich because you're not. So you're now juggling a business, mm-hmm. dialysis mm-hmm. and a little miracle. And a little miracle, yes. So when you and Brad got married, was kids on the card? We did discuss it,
0: and we were in the process of looking at IVF when I first lost my trans- my first transplant, and then you're told not to even look at it on dialysis. It's a, it's almost like a sin <laughs> to the medical industry, <laughs> so they don't like you even thinking about it. We had then agreed that we would reapproach the subject after the next transplant, but when it failed. We both had to make the very agonising decision that we would live without children until
1: our little miracle came along and surprised us all. So that's Olivia? That is Olivia. And talk me through when you found out you were pregnant because you weren't expecting to fall pregnant. No, definitely wasn't expecting to fall pregnant. Um,
0: oh, we'd gone 10 you years accepted. since we'd made the decision that yep. we wouldn't...
1: you accepted it, you'd moved on, yep. doing your thing that's it love and life
0: not having to worry about anyone but ourselves um but yeah yeah, it
1: took me through the day
0: that uh it was an interesting one because I'd gone for an ultrasound for something else thinking there was just general hormone problems and stuff and the GP went oh we'll just do an ultrasound just to be sure not she wasn't expecting it either to be honest she seemed more shocked than I did um and yeah The ultrasound lady just said, do you realise you're eight weeks pregnant? And my comment was, you need to check again because that's not possible. (laughs) So, and turns out she was right and I was wrong. What went through your mind? There was a lot of swearing in my mind and probably out loud, that poor ultrasound lady. And she was actually pregnant at the time. So I feel sorry for her more than anyone. (laughs) And then just fear, absolute fear ran through my mind because I just didn't know what it would mean. Cause it's something that i'd always wanted but until i'd spoken to my specialist i didn't know if it was something that i'd even be able to think about or if i would have had to have been forced to terminate so absolute fear ran through
1: my head who was your first phone call
0: the specialist actually <laughs> sorry brad um which he knows no i i rang the specialist or my team and said is he there in the um like offices and they said yeah i said i'll be there in 10 and they know I don't panic for no reason. So they didn't argue. They just went, yep, okay. And I literally drove straight there to find out what it actually meant.
1: And then on the way, I rang Brad. So by then, were you a little calmer before you made the phone call to Brad? No, nah. still panicked. Still panicked.
0: Still panicked. But I needed him to know where my head was. Like I needed, I needed him to know so if a decision had to be made, it wasn't as random a comment at the time so yeah I just literally rang him and he was on a work site and I said "So I've got something to tell you he's like what I said we're pregnant he goes uh how the f did that happen <laughs> like, well birds and the bees um, <laughs> and yeah I told him at the same time that I was on straight on the way to go to see the doctor and I would come actually see him on site after that appointment how did he go actually he was probably the calmer one of all of us <laughs> which is what I didn't expect because he was probably the one that cemented the decision that trying for children on dialysis would have been a bad idea because I would have done it in a heartbeat. But then when the specialist had said, look, we'll support you no matter what you decide and if you want to see how viable the pregnancy is, we will support you and do whatever in our power to make it happen. That started to make me relax and then when I met up with Brad and he said, well, this is what you've always wanted. Let's just take one day at a time. I literally felt everything relax because I had his support. So what was your pregnancy like? Surprisingly smooth. Um, I remember sitting with um, the OB at the hospital for the first time. She goes, so you've got a 50% chance this will even take
1: oh my goodness and I'm like
0: and then she said something along the lines of you may die and then I've just looked at Brad thing that was always his worst fear
1: so I'm like walking
0: out of that appointment expecting him to go okay you know what no I've changed my mind call it so yeah we got we weren't expecting to get any further than 24 weeks so the viable stage and we got to 33 just meant dialysis every day instead of every three days a week
1: oh wow so you had to increase your dialysis yeah to make sure that no
0: toxin like no blood levels rise too high to um, affect the baby so how far did you continue working I continued working to about 31 weeks (laughs) I hired someone that my business probably wasn't financially ready to hire but I had no choice because the moment they said it they said you need to stop all physical activity I'm like I'm a personal trainer they're like yeah don't care Um, so I put someone into running sessions because that's probably the most physical part of the job and I kept running personal training sessions because most of the clients that I trained in one-on-one knew the exercises so I really just had to sit there and tell them to up
1: the weight or go harder or things like that so it wasn't so bad So you spoke before years ago you used to take your dialysis machine to work Mm -hmm. with you Yep Now it's Olivia
0: It is, yes, now it's Olivia Yes she comes with me
1: everywhere except here today. So what's life like for you now? It, it's challenging
0: at times but at the same time surprisingly enjoyable. So having a job where I can take her with me is one thing that keeps me grounded because the idea of getting that miracle and then putting her into child care not that I judge anyone at doing it um, but I couldn't do it um, because I didn't think I'd ever have her so the idea of Someone else looking after it would torture me more than anything. So,
1: yeah. I had to go back to work at 14 weeks with my children and it was goddamn hard. And then when they got to school, I was like, oh. Like then I was full-blown work and struggled to be there. And I went, you know what, if I could take time to be here now or when they're at school, I'd totally choose now at school because they don't remember me being there when they took their first steps and now that's like a distance but now they remember me not being on parade when they're getting an award like why can't you come and it's like oh that's the shit you're remembering (laughs) yeah yeah and it's so hard because you want to be there for all of that
0: correct i suppose i've built my business to be family friendly for our clients we have crèche for our clients anyway um so i figured how more family friendly can a business get if the
1: child's literally there during a sign up to me that just seems right yeah and it's so good because so many parents um have the that parental guilt about not putting themselves first correct and putting their children first but if there's something that they can do that includes their kids or that's fun or that doesn't feel like it's impacting them too much yeah it just removes that guilt doesn't it
0: it removes the guilt and what we found is like obviously the children that are old enough to talk um, they're actually the ones asking mum can they go to boot camp because they enjoy it as much. Like, And I've witnessed little kids in the boot camp area where they can, so it's only a pool fence that separates the kid and the parent, um, copying what their mum's doing. Like how big a role model could you be than teach a child that physical education and health is a priority and we tell a lot of mums, and I have to remind myself a lot of the time too, you can't... Um, Fill a cup from an empty jug. So you can't give your child the absolute best if you're not at your absolute best.
1: That was pretty powerful. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Yep. Thank you for joining no me today. That's all right. Brave is jointly funded by the Commonwealth and Queensland governments under the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. This podcast is produced by Damien Lawarden.